Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, this podcast episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Sancaster. So are you looking at getting your product into the hands of the right people, the people that are going to absolutely love it? Did you know that podcast advertising is literally 4.4 times more effective than the traditional display type of advertising? So if you're looking at really using podcast advertising, you may want to connect with Sencaster. So they've created this thing. It's called the Sencaster Podcast Marketplace, where you can connect as a brand or a company with the right type of creators. And again, you know, via Sencaster, you can connect with people like myself, where essentially we are putting ads of the brands and the companies that we absolutely love. So again, if you are interested in doing this, just go to sen.ai forward slash dealmakers one, and that is a number one. And again, the team at Sencaster will be able to guide you in the right direction. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today I'm very excited with the founder that we have here with us today. I mean, definitely a very competitive founder. I mean, he was um, a pro as a tennis player, you know, really incredible what he's doing now. Raised a ton of money in just 12 months alone. I think you're going to find it mind-blowing. But without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Ross McKay. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate the intro. Excited to be here. Looking forward to it. So originally born in Glasgow. So how was saying life growing up there? Give us a walk through memory lane. <laughs> Seems like a while since I've been back, but um, it was great. Grew up in uh, Scotland in a town called Glasgow. So spent the best part of 18, 19 years there. A lot of my youth was, was spent playing tennis or other sport. So if you're familiar with Scotland, it's very rainy and cold. So it'll teach you a lot and it'll make you pretty tough. But uh, I enjoyed it. It was a great place to grow up. Now, your father was an entrepreneur, so you had the entrepreneurship running in the family. So I guess, what, what did you learn from seeing his journey uh, so close? And, and do you think that that's probably what has uh, inspired you to also follow in his footsteps? Yeah, I was very fortunate to watch my father um, build a business, you know, from the age of, I suppose, five to about 15 or 16, where he, he actually, you know, sold that company. So um you know, growing up, taking the bus home from school, going to his office, sitting in the office, watching him grow from one person to five people to six people, watching him move out of a tiny little office into a larger office and grow the business over, you know, I guess for his life, it was 30 plus years. But for the 10 that I watched him do it, um, it was super inspiring. And I think looking back now, it definitely was the catalyst for I suppose my obsession on on starting something and that entrepreneurial spirit within me. So very inspiring. I think one thing that he taught me and which I try and carry into my company daring is the importance of team. You know, he was he was in recruitment, he was in HR, so very people forward. And this notion that teams win uh, and without your team in place and without uh, people around you that are quite frankly better than you in a lot of things and my responsibility was to to bring the best people into the organization. So uh, he taught me that from a very young age. It's definitely correlated to sport in many ways, but uh, I have a lot to thank for, for my father. Now let's talk about sports and really pushing yourself to become better and better. Let's talk about tennis. How did you get into tennis? 
I guess, you know, my, again, my father was, was, was pretty into tennis and rugby. And at the time, you know, I picked up a racket probably at the age of three years old. Um, you know, growing up, I, you know, was very passionate about, you know, tennis so much so that I actually kept saying, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a tennis player. I want to be a tennis player. I watched Mara Safin. I watched Andre Agassi, Sampras, you name it. I was very fortunate to to go to a lot of Wimbledon events where I was up and close with a lot of these top athletes. So growing up, my my North Star was was to be one of those one of those guys on the big screen playing in the big tournaments. But you know, I, I went to tennis academy and tennis school for a short period in Italy and, and, uh, and got my ass handed to me very quickly. And, you know, at the age of 16, you kind of take a step back and say, what is it you want to do for the rest of your life? Do you want to commit to this and do nothing else? Or do you want to explore other avenues, other events, parties, maybe other sports? And, and if that's the case, you know, you, you probably you're in the wrong game. So that was very much where I was. I loved the sport. I was fortunate enough to play for Scotland. I was coached and mentored by a lady, Judy Murray. Is Andy Murray's mum, if you're not familiar with Andy. Won Wimbledon a couple times. He was world number one, and he was also from Scotland. So, you know, 16, you know, I hit a I hit a crossroads, and the, the, the other sports were calling, and um, more of a lifestyle was kind of my desire. So um, I've recently started playing again. I'm pretty into padel. Um, so if you're if you're into it, we should get a game. More 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 strategic eh, and uh, hitting it with the power as as you would do in tennis. I mean, I, I've gotten into paddle too, good sport. Now, in terms of um, you know, kind of like a turning chapter and turning page. I mean, you suffered an injury uh, playing tennis that kind of like uh, forced you to really press the reset button uh, and then really take a look to reflect and to see you know what will be next. So. What was that process for you? I'm sure it was not a, you know, an easy, I'm sure it was quite challenging for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you go from spending more time on a tennis court than anything else and running around and keeping fit and healthy. I think what that taught me was this understanding of this notion of you are what you eat. And at the time I ate a lot of animal protein. You know, you're told every two and a half hours, eat some form of lean, clean animal derived protein in the center of your plate and you're going to grow up and you're going to recover and you're going to get big and strong that's what we're all told right after suffering the injury you know i sort of took a step back and started to research and i'm a very sort of addictive personality i'm all in or i'm not in at all so you know page 55 on google on how to recover from an injury i think i read an article about the you know, the, the potential benefits from reducing your meat intake and actually a plant-strong diet. So a plant-based diet, plant-forward diet could, could enhance and benefit recovery. So I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there with a, a torn quad muscle uh, and thinking, you know what, let me give it a go. Let me not eat animal protein tomorrow. Let me start to eat some legumes and grains and all these things that were kind of new to me, I suppose, at the time and very obscure because yeah, I'm 16 years old where everyone else is eating you know, fish and chicken and turkey and, and, and that's what we're told is, is best for us. I've decided, you know, to go completely and forgive the pond cold turkey. So this was a long time ago now, but, you know, 30, 40 days in, I felt amazing. I felt, you know, as cliche as it sounds, I felt like a new man. I recovered faster, higher energy levels. Um, and this is what I, I wanted to continue on the journey. It fundamentally started with health. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting because as I stepped into the category as a consumer, buying, of course, alternative proteins, 
you know, the, the, the veggie burgers of the world that were, were available, you know, 10 years ago or so, you know, they didn't quite hit that void. Uh, there was still this void that I was looking for and this intersection of, of a taste, because at the time I still loved the taste of meat. I decided not to eat it, but also health. You know, I was turning to the back of these packages and saying, oh, goodness, like this is 50 ingredients. What is this? Am I better eating animal protein? Now, that was kind of the catalyst for, for daring today became a consumer in the category after being extremely passionate. This was truly beneficial for your health, having witnessed it firsthand. Um, and I wanted to, to see if there was, there was better products on the market. Now, in, in your case, I mean, as they say, ideas take time to incubate. They're kind of like dormant there. And I guess that for you, really becoming vegan and really seeing that difference that it made for you, it was kind of like a process uh, and, and a journey tool. And, and I know that you did a couple of, you know, gigs here and there, you know, a couple of smaller ventures. Uh, and then all of a sudden you ended up one day uh, with something that happened. You know, perhaps it was like a triggering event that really made you think and that really pushed you over the edge to say, you know what, I think it's time that I start this thing. Yeah, I think we've touched a little bit about this passion for entrepreneurialism. I think entrepreneur. The word entrepreneur, the term is very glorified. I think, you know, you don't have to have your own business to be an entrepreneur, but we've kind of touched on just this ingrained, you know, desire to do something for myself, you know, fueled by, I think, the, the, the witness of my father and my family environment. Again, you combine that with this obsession over health and nutrition and this newfound passion for a plant-based diet. You know, this intersection created me to think about how can I take both this passion for business and this business oriented mindset and the learnings from my previous or previous companies and this mission that I had was to educate and tell more people about what I believe was the future of food, and that is a plant based diet. So, you know, as I explored and I thought of ideas, of course, I thought about everything and you're reading the news, you're watching funding happening in the States at the time I was living in the UK. So it seemed, you know, potentially naive at the time, but I thought, well, a lot of people are focusing on alternative milks. That seems like a soon to be very saturated market. A lot of people are focusing on beef alternative. Why is no one looking at the world's most popular protein? Well, why can't why why don't I do that? And and this was about 2018, um, so not that long ago. But you know, I kind of hit a, a moment where I said, you know what, there's got to be a product on the market there's not today, then you know, why don't I do it? And, um, uh, you know, I said, I think that was January, 2018. I said, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's do this. Amazing. And then when you said, let's do this, what was that process like? Because obviously you had, I'm sure to do a lot of research, a lot of testing, a lot of uh, looking into it. So what was that thing? Uh, I would say a journey, like in order to really land on, on, on perfection, you know, when it came to, taste to uh also to 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 uh, the, the 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 way that it was it felt you know all of that stuff absolutely i think uh well i certainly know what chicken tasted like i ate a lot of it growing up so that was always the north star you know it starts a lot about understanding the market it starts a lot about understanding what you're trying to achieve the mission of daring is to rethink and replace chicken from the food system we had to go into the reasons why people love chicken um, the reasons why potentially chicken needs to replace from the food system, of course, you know, it's deemed today to be the world's healthiest protein. I still get a lot of people almost every day, tons of masses saying, what's wrong with chicken rocks? And I, 
you know, and it's true. Chicken is the protein source of choice when you look to lose weight or or step away from red meat. So there was a it was a very obscure idea that I wanted to create an alternative to what seemed to be the healthiest protein in the world. But my background is not in food science. So taking my passion for business, um, understanding, you know, of course, the plant kingdom, the manufacturing process, uh, but working with people in the ecosystem, working with food scientists, working with co-manufacturers, continuing to iterate, of course, at the same time, trying to raise a little bit of friends and family money to keep this dream alive and to pay for development and to play, pay for consultants in the space. But it was nothing but failed production runs and, you know, uh, hurdles along the journey that I'm sure you've, you've heard so many times, but it was definitely not a straight line. The product we have today was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of samples later. And, and you know, we're still iterating on it today. So um, I think we focus largely on building a solid foundation understanding, of course, our, our market. And uh, that market was was the US. So I was very focused on on bringing this product here. Why? Because one, you eat a lot of chicken over here in America. <laughs> and two, access to capital and market was was definitely more appealing than where I was at the time in Scotland, where, you know, rubbing a couple of dollars together and asking for funding was almost impossible. Hey, guys, so pardon the interruption here. I got to tell you that you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance you know that would carry me through the process whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition so that gap that i found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when i met my co-founder at pantera mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. Now, when you came to the US, you came with 2,000 bucks and with very limited time. You know, I'm sure that was quite stressful and uh, probably there's a lot of entrepreneurs too that, that you know, are thinking about coming here and, 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 and giving it a shot. I mean, I'm sure that that was incredibly stressful for you. I mean, what was it like to come with such little money, you know, with such little time to be able to make something happen? And what was that turning point where you said, you know what, I think, I think I'm going to be able to make it here. I'm going to be able to stay. Yeah, well, uh, it was definitely, I think it was, it was 2,400. So I don't want to, I don't want to shy away from that additional $400 that we had, but I took a flight to the U.S. on a whim uh, for a potential meeting with an investor. 
combined with a with a meeting with a retailer. So I think we had enough money to pay for you know six nights in a hotel plus flights plus per diem food and and get back. And this was our last hooray. You know, we we tapped out. We we'd gone through a few hundred thousand dollars in investment for in, innovation and. I had a few batches of samples that I brought here on a flight. Mind you, this was my first time in the States since I was five years old. I'd been here once before to Disney, and this was the the second time ever. So first time in New York, the Big Apple, I'm pounding the streets, seeing who would listen to me. The ticker's going, you know, I'm I'm playing the clock because we have no money in the bank. And this is my job now to fund the company, get believers. And of course, try and land business at the same time. So a lot of pressure. I was fortunate enough to one meet some investors who who believed in the mission and and also believed in uh, the opportunity. And I guess myself at the time because we had nothing you know to show for it yet, other than a great product and an idea. And uh, also, um, we met a retailer called Sprouts, and um, I was very fortunate to meet the CEO there. Jack Sinclair and the frozen buyer, Scott Reed, who, you know, believed in the natural space and believed that this was a product that would fit within their retailer. So, you know, it was a great meeting. Um, we we landed a, a small amount of capital just to be able to support the the deal that we had at, at Sprouts. And um, that was late December 2019. I went home for four or five days. I t- took a flight back over and uh, I haven't actually been home since it's 2022 now. So um, the, 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 the realization was the ability to have people believe now. And we'd had believers before, but when you get emotional, when you get financial backing and psychological backing, running a business becomes very, very, very fun. And we were fortunate at the time that we had both of that early 2020. Nice. Now, uh, in this case, I mean, for you guys, you know, it's been it's been an incredible run, and 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 you were alluding to it. You know exactly what you guys are doing at Daring, but but what does Daring look today, especially for the people that are listening? What are you guys selling? I mean, how how are you guys making money here? What is the business model of Daring? Absolutely. So we have we're we're the creators of Daring Chicken. It's a clean label plant based chicken. So when you think about the category as a whole, you think about alternative meats. You know, forty fifty ingredients. Daring has six ingredients. It's the healthiest, cleanest plant-based chicken on the market. Uh, we sell through two channels, grocery retail and food service. So we're in thousands of doors within the grocery retail. We're in Walmart, Whole Foods, Sprouts, Air One, you name it. Uh, you'll find us in the frozen section of pretty much every retailer in America in the short space of the last 12 months. In, in, in food service, we show up in, in, in amazing locations across the country from David Gritman's Grit Hospitality, Komodo, Swan, Soho House, uh, the One Hotel, Just Salad in New York. So it's uh, it's super exciting. It's a clean label plant-based chicken that cooks, looks, tastes just like chicken. And um, it's, it's truly, 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 of course, uh, our belief better for not only human health, but the sustainability um, of the world and also animal welfare. In 2021, well, our first year, Daring sold over uh, 1.2 million pounds of, of plant-based chicken. And when you think about that as a whole, it's about the equivalent of removing, you know, 3 million showers a year. It's about 800 football fields. It's, it's a lot of impact that we're creating. And that's really aligned to the mission of removing and replacing chicken from the food system. You know, when you think where we are today, 6,500 retailers, 1,000 food service locations this year. 
And we've also been very fortunate to raise you know, north of $125 million from very, very prolific and exciting investors. So I'm, I'm very fortunate where we are. We're still at level one and we got a lot of work to do, but it's been an amazing couple of years. Sounds like a wild ride and also a wild ride on the, on the financing. I mean, you guys have raised quite a bit of money, as you were alluding to, and literally you've done your Series A, B, and C in a 12 in a 12 month span. I mean, that's kind of like unheard of. I mean, typically you raise every 18 to 24 months. So why did you raise everything in, in all, all, all those rounds in, in, in just one single year? Yeah, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of branding rounds, but we, we've done a great job, I suppose, of, of bringing on great partners to, to fund and capitalize the mission. You know, Mavron, who led our Series A, Dan Levitan there is a, a truly phenomenal investor. He's, he's worked closely with uh, Howard Schultz over at Starbucks and taking that company public. So I think the pattern recognition of, of great product, big market, big lane, and great team was something he spotted very early on. So, you know, he was uh, an $8 million investment in 2020, in, uh, end of 2020, or beginning of 2021. Our business, you know, was was still fairly uh, handcuffed at the time because we didn't really have the capital to grow. So when that investment came in, I was able to hire more team members. I was able to access more distribution. I was able to do more marketing. And with that comes more demand for your product. So we had to scale furthermore. So with that scale comes additional capital and additional interest because we had grown from one door to 2000 very quickly. We were selling a lot of product. People were starting to hear about us. So the demand was starting to come in. And, you know, in my opinion, one of the most exciting investors in the space now, you know, moving more into the private side is, is D1 Capital. So um, Mike Tully uh, over at D1 and Dan Sunheim, I was fortunate enough to meet them and they moved very quickly on what was our Series B at the time to help fuel innovation, help you know build the brand and the product innovation. And um, very shortly after, I was very fortunate to meet Peter Thiel at Founders Fund and cooked for him and told him about the, what we were doing and all of the growth. And again, there was an appetite to capitalize the company. So, you know, we're um, we're very fortunate to 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 have one, of course, you know, put a lot of money in the bank, uh, but also too, I think. There's a there's a difference between building a great business and raising a lot of money. We're focused on building a great business. If you do that, you know you will have option. You'll have option to you know to capitalize the company at hopefully a low cost of capital. So I uh, I'm very fortunate to have some awesome investors and um, investors that one believe in in the business model and believe in the mission. Now there's two things here that that are pretty interesting that I'm sure that the listeners are going to enjoy listening to to see what you have to say. So number one is you're originally from Glasgow, so outside of the U.S. You've managed to assemble a team of investors that are probably some of the best in the world. So how were you able to really get those doors to open? Yeah, I mean, um, there was no plan B for me ever. I am uh, I'm a very uh, unapologetically ambitious about where I want to take this company. And you know, that, you know, I guess there's an element of luck, you know, meeting people, whether it be them in an elevator and I'm telling them what I do and they know someone or I'm at a, you know, I'm on a flight and I happen to be in this same airport as someone, I'll be constantly selling the vision and the business to whoever wants to listen to me. So naturally through this, uh, I've been fortunate enough to, to 
uh, be introduced to some people that at the time were deemed to be potentially interested in listening to, to, to the story. And I think as an entrepreneur, it's your job to, you know, set the vision and um, get people um, on your team, whether it be team members, um, at your employee base or investors. So I take it, you know, as my one of my main roles to do so. And, you know, I guess it's led from a sheer belief and passion about what I'm doing. I think what you need to do is is align people around what matters and execute with urgency and intensity every single day. And that's what I try and do. And I think that's been, you know, a combat of, of my uh, of my personality, but also obviously a, a little bit of luck. And then in, in this regard, too, I mean, this is not the typical VC uh, software enable, you know, type of thing. Uh, how were you able to really uh, have a compelling positioning or packaging here when it comes to the story to really get these people to invest in something that is so unique like this? There's been several alternative protein companies uh, within dairy, alternative dairy, alternative meat that um, have one in raised significant capital and returned to many public and private investors great returns. You know, I think the, the, the category of alternative protein is, 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 is only growing, whether it's chicken, beef, milk, fish, tuna, whatever. There's a lot of upside in that, in that trajectory. And in, investors are now are becoming more and more interested in sustainability. Uh, they're becoming more and more interested about ESG investing. Um, so it's, it's really, you know, an amazing thing to watch. I think a massive TAM supported um, by changing consumer preference. You know, the global plant-based food market is set to reach north of 140 billion by 2030, with 13% annual growth inspected. That's a massive TAM. And of course, the growing consumption of alternative meat with increased awareness of its health benefits is there too. So it's a massive, you know, area for upside within investors. You know, we're becoming the, the category leader with plant-based chicken. Uh, better for you, six ingredients, a lot of IP surrounding our product. So there was a mixture of that. And and I think, you know, the um, tremendous growth and significant runway ahead, we grew into six and a half thousand doors in a short period of time. It was pretty unheard of before. Um, so the mixture of time, great product, you know, sustainability focused business aligned with EST themes. And, and again, the most important point is I've been, and I take this as my you know number one priority, is to hire best in class management team with you know, an extensive experience in this industry. You know, I regard myself as, of course, the, 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 the founder who sets the strategy, but around me and my team, you know, both from an executive level down to, you know, junior management, we have the best team. So I think if you're an investor looking at a company like Daring, you know, you take all those things in consideration. And I think we take a number of those boxes. Now, imagine, imagine Ross, you know, that uh, you were going to sleep tonight. And you wake up in a world where the vision of daring is fully realized. What does that world mm. look like? It, it, it means that no one is, is, is utilizing chicken uh, in the food system. We are fully dependent on plant chicken. Our mission is on the wall in the company office. It's to remove chickens from the food system. And it means that we have done a job of one delivering on like for like taste, texture, macronutrients health but also price so i think it's going to take us some time but that is our ultimate goal it is to continue to create plant-based products that is tasty while solving 
the negative impacts on the unsustainable industry that is poultry. So that is the 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 sole reason I continue to wake up and continue to fund and grow the business. Um, and, and that is success to us. Now, if I were to take you into a time machine and I bring you back in time, and I bring you back in time to that moment where you were thinking about like maybe starting a business, right? I mean, it's been now a wild, wild journey. Uh, you, I'm sure you've learned a lot. You've been now able to surround yourself by amazing people. So if you had the opportunity of having that younger self, and let's just say for a second that that younger self will listen because our younger selves, we typically, you know, we didn't listen much when we were younger. But imagine you were able to sit down with your younger self and give your younger self one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Yeah, and I'm sure this is one that we've all heard and, and read before, but it's true to me. And and that is follow your passion. I got asked the question by my dad after trying so many different things. And he said, if you could only do one thing, what would it be? And if tomorrow was your last day, what would it be? And um, it was this. And I think you're going to come up against tons of critique. You're going to come up, ton- we call it the three C's, critique, challenge, and conflict. And uh, you get them every day. You get them, I get them, listeners, you, we all get these. But when you're truly passionate about something and you're not afraid to fail and um, you believe that this is you know, the only plan and the only path forward, then um, I think your, your uh, opportunity and your outcome is, is much highly likely to, to be successful. I think at the same time, you know, being nimble is super important. And we say big on vision, nimble on tactics, fast feet. I guess it's my sporting analogy here, but if that doesn't work, there's another plan, another plan. Markets change, you know, there's a war, you know, oil price, freight, operation complexity. You've got to be nimble. Don't just sit there and say this is the strategy, execution over strategy every single day when you're moving at a million miles an hour and you're going from obscurity to ubiquity. So you know, passion and, and being nimble is probably my two um, fundamentals that I try and live by, you know, every single day. And for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi, Ross? Absolutely. Well, it's, uh, you know, our website is daringfoods.daring.com, uh, actually, a new URL. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Ross McKay, or you can get us at ross at daring.com. So uh, I appreciate the time today. I thank you for letting me share the story. and. And hopefully you uh, enjoy the product. I know we got some coming your way. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Ross. Really appreciate it. And what an honor eh, to have you with us. Thank you so, so much. Appreciate you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.